This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You can't turn it off. For me, that's beautiful. For others, that might be toxic. But I love that this is my worldview. I love that I get to talk about this every day. I feel so grateful that I have this passion for this company that I'm building. But it, it is a grind. It really, really is. It just doesn't feel as much of a grind when you're building something you love and believe in wholeheartedly. Welcome to The Real Real, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. In today's episode, I am interviewing such a gem. I loved this episode and there were some technical difficulties in it. So it took us quite a bit to get up and at it and recording. But once we did, it was so great. I was in Raleigh when I was recording this. So, you know, I had some Wi-Fi troubles. Let's get on the hot spot because I was staying at some Airbnb. But we made it work. And this episode is so great because not only do we talk about entrepreneurship, we talk about the struggles, the highs and lows of being an entrepreneur. But Brett Meerman, who is the special guest today, is actually a solo founder. So we get to hear that perspective. And we also get to hear about some insecurities that can actually become strengths. Brett has a condition where she pretty much just excessively sweats and it actually occurs in so many people but no one talks about it. And so she created Super Drip, which is a product specifically for excessive sweaters where it actually helps you not sweat in the areas where you need it most. Like for example, your underarms, your chest, your hands, your feet. And she created this entire community around people that have the same condition and people that, you know, maybe weren't used to necessarily talking about it and created a space for them to feel open and feel comfortable and confident and not like it should be something that they need to hide or not talk about and feel like misunderstood, I guess, or like nothing is made for them when now Super Drip is made for them. So Brett is such an incredible person. I was connected to her through Maddie Mayo, which you may know from OKSIS podcast. It's one of her best friends. And I'm so glad I listened because I trust Maddie with like anything, whatever she says. I'm like, okay, yeah. But she actually was such an incredible guest, had such a good story, and I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this. And before we get into that, I want to kind of talk about something that I am a little bit insecure about that I never, ever really show on my social media because it's something I get so embarrassed of. But I have a pretty bad lazy eye when I either get drunk or I get tired. It's really bad. Or if I'm zoning out, it'll happen in the middle of the day too. It's not just reserved for those moments, but it gets really bad when I'm drunk or tired. And 
I am always so insecure about it. And people have pointed it out many, many times. It's not something that's like, oh, it's like a small little lazy eye. Like, no, no, no. I have full on my left eye goes like so far out and it's like so hard to snap back into place especially when I'm drunk and tired. But even if I'm like out of focus, the lazy eye will happen and I can like snap it back. But it gets to a point sometimes when it's really, really hard to snap back. And I had eye surgery. I forgot what the eye surgery was called, but I had eye surgery to correct that lazy eye when I was two years old. So I was really, really little. And ever since then, I've noticed it and I've been so insecure about it. And it's gotten worse over the years. It's gotten like pretty bad. Like I mean, my friends have said that it's gotten worse as they've known me and it's just become such an insecurity of mine and I notice it in photos now. So like if I'm ever hanging out with friends and going out at night and we take a picture, it's like the only thing I notice. I feel like everyone notices it and they do because they've literally mentioned it to me before. I'm actually really insecure about it. So I currently, as I'm recording this podcast, you guys, I am wearing an eye patch. Yes, an eye patch. It is not Halloween. I'm wearing an eye patch. I got it off of Amazon and I used to wear an eye patch as a little kid. And usually when you're an adult, it's pretty hard to correct a lazy eye, but I've read that this actually does help. I think it's harder to correct the vision. Like you need to correct the vision when you're younger. But for me, yeah, the vision isn't like as good as my right eye, but it's still like fine. So I'm not as worried about the vision as I just am the aesthetics of it and the look of it. So I'm wearing a patch right now. I'm going to try to wear this every time I'm home working for a few hours a day for it to really correct. And I'm going to start doing the like pencil push-up exercise. If you guys, any gals out there have a lazy eye, you know what I'm talking about. But it's like when you hold a pencil or your finger in front of your face and you like bring it closer and closer and closer to your nose until it gets blurry and it's supposed to strengthen your eye muscles. So I'm going to start doing that, start wearing this eye patch every day, but it is literally my that and my skin are my biggest insecurities. Like I just get so embarrassed because it's something I can't help and I can't control. And so I'm trying to correct it now. So right now as we're recording, I'm wearing this little eye patch and I'm telling you guys, it is so difficult to like focus and do things with this bad eye. I didn't realize how weak it was and how bad it was, but it's really, really hard for me to focus. And it like kind of hurts. Like I'm like, oh my God, like I'm straining my eye so much. But I thought it'd be a good time to share since we're talking about things that, you know, maybe we were once insecure about. So if any of you guys have a lazy eye, you know, come and slide in my DMs and let me know because it's something that, again, is embarrassing. So people don't really talk about it. But here I am. Maybe one day I'll get the courage to, you know, post a photo in my eye patch on Instagram. But until then, the podcast has heard it first. So with that being said, my DMs are always open to talk about any insecurity you want to talk about because I feel like if you're insecure about something, there are millions of people in the world insecure about the same exact thing. So let's just start talking about them. And maybe one day we'll make a business as great as Brett's. But until then, you guys can DM me or just have fun listening to this episode. So without further ado, let's welcome Brett Meerman to the show. Hi, Brett. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, well, before we get into the topics, I like to start with setting the record straight. So there's some stereotypes, some assumptions. You'll let me know if they're true or false. And then the first one is that you should really focus on a niche when starting a business. Ooh, that's a great question. It depends on how you define niche. For me, it's all about A, finding a gap in the marketplace, but B, finding an area that you're very passionate about and interested in. 
So if you can provide a service that other people are either A, providing and not doing well, or B, are you know not really providing, but there's a clear market, that's great. But the most important quality, in my opinion, is having the passion and drive to really see that vision through. Because starting a business seems really fun and glamorous from the outside looking in. But as you know, it's a lot of work and dedication and grinding. Oh, totally. And also, I feel like people want to start businesses because it does look glamorous. And it's like, oh, you're your own boss. You know, you can do everything on your own. You know, it's telling you what to do. But that excitement wears off quickly. And you have to really, really love what you are building, not just building in general. Yeah, no, it's, I think going off of what you said, there's a lot of glamour and appeal from social media and highlights that kind of illustrate what it should look like to be a founder, especially a female founder, if I will say that. But as you know, there's so much trial and error, but there's more days arguably that you wake up feeling really sad and isolated. And what am I doing? And how do I navigate this? Than all the good that you see. And it's really distorting because it tells other people, oh, hey, if so-and-so is having the time of her life doing this, it's going to be as great for you. And that might be true for a very small percentage of people, but the reality is that it is a grind, both mentally, emotionally, physically, all of the above. Yeah. And also, I don't know about you, but I feel like I can't share when things are going bad because I feel then like, oh no, what are are people going to think that my business is failing or that I'm not a confident leader or that I'm not a good CEO? You know, I feel like I have to portray that everything is great because then people might question my ability. And so I just, I feel like it's really hard for me to share if I'm feeling like mentally drained or I'm feeling confused and that kind of sucks. I totally agree. And especially when you have a team too, you have two personalities and two roles. The role is to be a CEO and put on a brave face and make sure that everyone feels secure in their jobs. And then there's another role, which is being in touch with your actual emotions and being a human at the end of the day. And being a founder like this is not easy. And so the two juxtapositions of those qualities can be really, really troubling for people, myself included, to navigate. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked about that a lot, actually, like with Maddie as well and like with yeah. Scout on their podcast. But I think the emotional side of things is one of the hardest things that and people don't talk about it because of that reason yes. where they're just too scared to portray weakness and vulnerability. And why is it that we're trained in society that like being emotional is weak? I don't know, because I feel like a lot of times when you look at super successful people, it's like they come across as like, they know that they're successful and that like they're so confident in the decisions they make and that everything's going to work. But whenever you talk to them one-on-one, it's like, oh no, like things are going poorly. Like, I don't know what to do. I have so much pressure. I feel like that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, people are going to see that and think of me as like weak and then not want to work with me or something. So I don't know. I I hope that that stigma goes away soon though. Me too. I think the more and more we talk about it, the better it'll become. Mm -hmm. The next one is that the first thing you need to do when starting a business is the branding. That's not true. You need to have an idea. First and foremost, you need to have like an actual product market fit. And then you should do the actual work that nobody talks about, like forming your LLC or S Corp, et cetera, making sure that you can get your domain, making sure that you build out not a huge, robust business model, but enough that you can actually see whether or not this product, this idea works. Then you can get to the fun stuff because everybody wants to just cut to the branding is the best part. But no, you got to work on actually building that idea first and making sure it's robust enough. 
Mm -hmm. And I think it goes back to what we were saying about you have to be really passionate about the actual product because yeah, the branding and the, you know, the colors and the logo and the website and the Instagram and the TikTok, all of that is like the fun, exciting stuff. But that again, like we said, goes away. Like, and then you actually have to build a successful business. Totally. Couldn't agree more. And then the next one is that you don't need business experience to start a business. You do not. You need to be savvy. You don't necessarily need to be smart. You just need to be quick on your feet. You need to be able to trust your gut. You need to be able to be a fast learner, a multitasker. But everybody's path is different. When I was younger, I always knew I wanted to work for myself. I had this innate gut feeling that I needed to be my own boss. And my idea just hadn't come yet. And I used to fit, feel like there was a mold that I needed to fit to be an entrepreneur, that I needed to go to business school. I needed to have a certain level of experience. And the more and more research I did, the more and more podcasts I listened to, books I read, all of that was debunked. I mean, there is truly no one-size-fits-all mold on how to run a business. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Ares tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream, it is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is 
the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. I like what you said about like, you don't have to be the smartest person because I mean, we spend so many years in school, whether it's just like graduating high school or then going off to get a college degree, or then even after that, getting a master's degree, people put so much emphasis on the grades that you get, the classes you take your major. When in reality, I think being a business owner, being a leader, building an actual business, it's all about the qualities you have, not the level of intelligence. Couldn't agree more. And something that I want to add to that too, which is really important, is you need to have a strong sense of self. And that again doesn't go hand in hand with being smart, but like we've alluded to, it can be really gut-wrenching to be in this position. And at the end of the day, like you're coming home to yourself. You're telling yourself about your work day. And so you need to be able to be strong enough to carry yourself and carry the burden of the company, the wins of the company, the highlights on your back. And that's arguably more important to me than being the smartest person in the room. It's like knowing that you can pick yourself up and sustain yourself at the end of the day. Do you have people that you work with that you kind of like share those highlights with or share the lowlights with? Or do you have co-founders? Do you have a team? What does that support system look like? I don't have a co-founder. I am the sole team. I have my fiance who also experiences excessive sweating. So we'll get into that in a bit, but I have him as like the emotional support system, which has been great, but you know, and I have my friends, I have other founders in my life, but at the end of the day, it's really just me picking myself up and making sure that I'm, I'm good. Mm -hmm. What do you do when you have those moments when either things are really hard or things are really great and you know you want to celebrate yeah. or as you can probably imagine most other founders are a total perfectionist and so it's really hard for me to like stay in the moment and stay in my lane and just be super happy and embrace those emotions wholeheartedly so what I've turned to is journaling it has helped me tremendously because now I go back and read my entries and I'm like oh that was a great day like that is a huge accomplishment that maybe in the moment I didn't have time to process and feel, but now reading back, I'm like, that is incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Journaling is something that I try to do every morning and I can tell the days that I don't or the weeks that I go where I don't, I yeah. feel so much more like out of place and like, so I just like, feel like I'm like floating kind of, I'm like, I don't know what to do, where to do. My emotions are taking me one place and like my brain is telling me to do something else. And I always feel just so much more like aligned whenever I sit down and Definitely. talk to myself. <laughs> and when did you realize that you had like this passion for branding? Cause I know that you have been working with like in branding and, you know, as a freelancer and as your own boss for the past few years, but when did you realize that 
that not only could be a career, but that you actually were good at this and that you wanted to kind of work with other people on this? Yeah, it dated back to my childhood. So my aunt, who's like my second mom, my best friend, I'm obsessed with her, is a fashion designer. And she had a really prominent company in the early 2000s. And I would go to her warehouse, I would go to her office, I would see firsthand, like watching her design and bring her vision to life. And it was like an aha moment that clicked inside of me. It was the coolest experience to witness. And I must have been like seven or eight at the time. And I was like, that is going to be me. I am going to do something like this. And all of the jobs that I've had leading up to building Super Trip have been working in either editorial or branding or creative direction, really aligning with vision and storytelling. And I just knew that I needed that experience prior to launching my own company, but they were also all guiding lights to getting me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people that feel like they need to become entrepreneurs, they want to work for themselves they feel like they want to jump into it right away. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I want to be a business owner. What can I do? What should I start? Where people underestimate the value of working for other people and working under other people. I think you can make more mistakes. You can learn from other people's mistakes. You can kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like and not on your own dime. You know, when you when you have your own business, like if something doesn't work out, that's on you. Like that's, <laughs> you're wasting your own money, your own time. It's 100% on you. And I think, so many people just want to start something right away when there's so much value in being patient and waiting for a right time to start a business or waiting for the right idea, not just coming up with idea because you want to start a business. Absolutely. I could tell you firsthand of being 21 to 25 years old and almost every day crying at work, being like, I need to start my own thing. And I don't know what it is, but I need to be working for myself. And Maddie and I would have these like round table discussions about how we're going to actualize our potential and, and finally do something that makes us feel fulfilled and happy. And oh my God, if I started a company at that age, it would have been catastrophic. I mean, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have any experience under my belt. I didn't have any expertise in branding or design or working for other brands. And again, going back to our previous conversation, not saying that you need that, but for me and my journey in particular, I needed that. I needed to see first how things were built. And so I always go back to those days and I trust timing in life for everything. And I trust listening to my gut most importantly, and like in my gut, I knew back then that starting my own thing was not right. And I actually wasn't planning on starting my own company when I decided to launch Super Drip. It was again, one of those aha moments where I realized that there was a product that I needed that didn't exist. And I was like, well, I guess this is my sign. Like this is the opportunity. So yeah, I want to talk about that. How did you come up with Super Drip because it is so niche and it is something that I've personally never seen before either. So what was that aha moment that you had when you were like, this is the company I need to start? Yeah. So I have something called hyperhidrosis, which is a fancy word to describe excessive sweating. Um, it's a skin condition that affects one in 20 people. It's actually quite common, but it's really referred to as a silent handicap because as you can imagine, sweating isn't the most fun body function and people can be really ashamed and embarrassed about it. And it's something that I made my best kept secret. So I have really sweaty hands and feet and pits. And it's like a trifecta, I call it. My nickname from childhood is Sweaty Freddy. And my closest, <laughs> dearest friends and family still call me that to this day. 
And I was so ashamed about this. I mean, everything that I touched writing, you know, on paper in school, driving my car, sweat would be left behind. It was really, really bad. And I was super ashamed about it. And I think it was, and this must have been four years ago now, that on my second date with my now fiance, he also has hyperhidrosis in his hands. And he asked to hold my hand and was like, I just want to let you know, I have this skin condition. It's called hyperhidrosis. My hands are going to feel really, really sweaty, but I don't care because I want to hold your hand and it's going to be great. And I couldn't believe like the confidence that this person exuded. Like this is a skin condition I have been struggling with my entire life to even make a part of my identity. And for him, he had no problem talking about it. And so I realized that there was an opportunity in that exact moment. I recall like going home and journaling that night. I was like, why is he so confident about the amount he sweats? And I just knew that there needed to be sure a brand and a product, but more so a community of people that could come together and talk about their sweat so openly without feeling stigmatized or ashamed. Yeah. And that's the community aspect that you mentioned is so powerful because products and there's so many products out there. There's so many brands out there. I think anyone can argue that just the consumer products, it's like super saturated. Like there's people have a million products for everything, but what makes people want to become invested in one and loyal to one and want to become a part of one, I think is that community that you talked about. I would so much rather support a company where I feel like really understands my needs rather than someone that, you know, maybe like Procter & Gamble bought that's rolled up into their like conglomerate and Yeah, it's just targeting my needs. Even if they both work the same way, I feel so much more connected to the one that really feels like they care and are understanding. And so is that what you started with? Did you start with just like creating like a community or did you like start headfirst into the product? So it took me two and a half years to develop my first product, which is called Don't Sweat It. And in the interim, while I was building that out, I started with a community. So I went to TikTok and I have a Geneva chat And it was there that I started posting videos about my own sweat journey and my own experience living with hyperhidrosis, as well as, you know, talking about what I've been building, but also I'm here if anybody else wants to talk. And it was really well received. I started growing my community pretty quickly and was able to have real-time conversations, whether it be on TikTok messaging or email or moved over to Instagram DMs and would talk to people who would tell me that I was the first person that they ever talked about their hyperhidrosis with openly, or they never felt confident discussing this, but seeing the courage that I've brought to the table and my ability to talk about the amount I sweat has inspired them to do the same with their family. And like I said, having a product is really cool. Having a brand is really cool. That's the best feeling in the world. Like knowing that I can help people If I could go back to my 18-year-old self and be like, you're okay, and here's why. There's a whole group of people out there who you can talk to. My life would be totally different. I mean, I spent so many, so many years not living my truest self. I didn't wear clothing and the colors or textures and materials that I wanted to. I would always fist bump instead of high-fiving people. I was ashamed to go on dates for so many years because I didn't want people to think that my hands were gross and yucky. And so... That the community and community building is the most rewarding part of all this because I just want to help people and let them know that they're okay and they're not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, that one date like changed your perspective on things and doing that, being able to scale that on social media to hundreds of thousands of people is incredible that you have that chance to do that. Like that one person impacted you in that moment. 
it's amazing the power that one person's journey and story can have on your whole outlook on life. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And once you started the community, did you think at that moment that you were going to build a product or was your first thing was like, I'm going to talk about this. And then once you saw how many people had it, you decided to build a product or where was the idea of the first product born? That's a great question. So it was simultaneous. I knew that I wanted to talk to people about the amount that I sweat and find the niche community there. I also knew that there was product market fit, that there was a huge gap in the marketplace. If you look at any you know, deodorant, antiperspirant, drugstore aisle that currently lines the shelves, you'll notice that they're all formulated for the underarms first and foremost. And the products are really clinical and sterile looking. I mean, they're designed to make sweating your best kept secret. And for someone like me who just wants a product to be able to hug them, if it could, I wanted to find a brand that I really identified with that would help me manage the amount I sweat because effectiveness is important but also told me that the amount I sweat was okay. And I felt like it was really medical and clinical. And I just I just knew in my gut that if I needed a product that made me feel comfortable and was approachable, other people wanted like a hug in a bottle too, so to speak. And so I started developing pretty soon after and Don't Sweat It, which is our first product we came out with, was my answer to that. So it's a really cute bottle designed for full body sweating. It's formulated with hyperhidrosis in mind, but can be used by anybody who sweats a little to sweat a lot. And it's designed for the five sweatiest parts of the body. So not just the pit, but also the hands and the feet and the back and the chest, which to me was the most important part. Like I wanted people to feel like when they use this, they could use this to where they sweat the most, not to where the antiperspirant and deodorant market were telling them that they sweat the most. And A common misconception is that your underarms are the sweatiest parts of your body. It's actually your hands and feet, but it just goes totally under the radar and the market doesn't serve to that area of need. So Mm. I knew really early on that there was a group of people that were going to try everything and anything to help them with their sweat, but also wanted a product that made them feel seen. And as a consumer, I knew that that didn't exist. Yeah, no, I think that that's so important because you were the ideal consumer. And so you know what's best for that first product and how to reach that audience. And you spent Mm -hmm. two years talking to them (laughs) before you even released anything. Yes. What is the process of creating a product? Because I'm the founder of a company as well, but I don't have any physical product. So it's very, very different. It's software versus like a consumer product. So what was your first step, especially with something like this? I assume that there's research involved, you know, a lot of different formulas that you're testing. You have to get it. I don't know if you have to get it approved or anything, but like, what is the process, the first step that you take to create something like this? Yes. So the first step I would say is have a rough idea of what it is that you're looking for. For me, I knew off the bat, I wanted a full body treatment that would help alleviate sweating and odor control. So that was number one. Number two, I started asking around. I have a few friends in my corner that have their own companies that have their own product lines, which were instrumental in helping me you know, get to the right direction and point me in the right direction. But I also just did my research. I tried to find manufacturers and labs that I felt like fit the needs of what I was looking for. And I really asked around for a while. Third was getting dermatologists on board to help me consult while I was developing this product. So I did a custom formulation. There's a multitude of ways that you can go about creating products in either the skincare industry or cosmetics in general. The first is private labeling, which is you have a pre-existing formula that you smack a new branded label on and call your own, which exists in 
more products than you use than you think. The second is custom R&D, which is what I did. And I spent two and a half years developing a formula and went through nine iterations before we launched Don't Sweat It to consumers. And a lot of it was just going back and forth with dermatologists, making sure that they liked the formulation, that they found that the ingredients were effective and safe to use. And I also found a lab that had really smart, intelligent chemists that knew what they were doing and had an understanding of what would go into a product like this. And the rest kind of took off from there. It's more so overwhelming to figure out mm-hmm. who to find, how to find them, how to get going. And then once you get going, how do you know when the product is right? And this is, again, where like trusting your gut becomes instrumental because yes, I use the products. I joke that there's our products are never, ever tested on animals, only sweaty humans. And so I tried them for a very, very long time and they definitely worked for me. But I also just knew in terms of texture, smell and consistency. And effectiveness, of course, that it was like the perfect combination and ready to go. How many iterations did you go through? Like how many different products did you test before you landed on this one? I think it was eight or nine, like a very, very long runway. It took two and a half years of just trial and error. And it wasn't like, a lot of people think it goes so quickly, right? But for the product like this, it's recommended use time is at least four weeks. So I would test it for two months at a time compile my feedback, then it would take manufacturers some time to revise it, send samples back over to me. And so that really, really elongated the process, but it was so worth it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that if they have really good branding and a really cool homepage and the product is mediocre, it'll slide. And that is just not the case. Product is everything. You can have the coolest branding in the world. And if your product doesn't work, your toast. Yeah, I think so many people spend so much time focusing on the wrong things when it's like focus on just making a very great product and people will come. And I always tell that to people. So it took you pretty much like two years to two and a half years to get a product out. A lot of people want to start products and they're, you know, they might be scared of the time, how long it takes, but also the money aspect of it and the budget aspect of it. Did you have investors? Did you bootstrap everything yourself? Or how did you budget accordingly? Because I'm assuming you don't know it's going to take that long because you don't know how many iterations you're going to have to go through. You don't know how many times you're going to have to redo the product formula. So how do you budget for something like this? Because you don't want to give up halfway and have, you know, like wasted your money and then not have anything to show for it either. I love this question. It's a fantastic question. So I bootstrapped everything up until this day, I raised a really small friends and family round. I put in a lot of my own money. And I was just, again, going back to the savviness, really, really savvy with how I spent my money. I didn't focus on developing multiple SKUs at one time, which a lot of brands will launch with multiple products. I focused on one product and I focused on making it the best product possible. You know, once you pay R&D costs and start manufacturing, you don't have to pay for each iteration of the product, which Mm -hmm. is great. So that was an expense I had to worry about in terms of packaging. I chose bottle and it would be recyclable, but also not the most expensive bottles on the shelves. Mailers, I ordered really small boxes, small MOQs. I made sure that the product would fit in it and look super cute, but wasn't wasting material because the bigger your boxes are, the more expensive they become. But really just allocated my funds in the best way and I could, which was putting it all towards product. So everything I did for social, everything I did in community building was organic, was word of mouth. 
I hosted like little small mini events that I completely funded myself and put forth and it happened that way, which looking back, I wouldn't change a thing in the world. I learned so much about my consumer. I learned even more about myself in this whole process of building. And I also, I developed this while working a full-time job. So I would do this. No, I did not wake up at four in the morning and work on this and then go to my full-time job. But I did do my full-time job and then come 7 p.m. till 10 p.m. I worked on afterwards. So it definitely is possible. It's a grind. But again, if you're passionate about it, you can absolutely do it. Yeah. And I think that's one thing too, is that, you know, there's conversation about like hustle culture versus, you know, work-life balance. And I think that as a society, we're on two extremes where it's like, okay, yeah, don't wake up at three, four in the morning and not go to bed until one. Like, yeah, that's not healthy. But also I I think there's an unrealistic expectation that when you are building something, work-life balance will probably not be a thing at the beginning. And it's a sacrifice you have to make in the beginning to really get it off the ground. And Absolutely. you might have to work. Yeah, you, you'll have to work multiple jobs. You have to make an income somehow. And I think that that's one thing that I always tell people is that in the beginning, you probably won't have a life. Like, <laughs> hopefully that comes. And no, I'm not saying to burn yourself out. But I think it's important to know that this is the time where you are like really grinding so that you can get yes. to a point where you have more of that balance. Also leaning into that, you won't want to make anything else your life. Like I was so giddy every single day to close my work computer so I can go to building super trip that it didn't feel like a second job, a third job. It really was a passion that I was pursuing. And that's why it's so crucial that you fully believe in the concept and you have passion for it. I think a lot of founders call their companies their first babies and they're a hundred percent right. Like I find myself when I'm not working, thinking about all the ways that I want to do something for Super Trip in the coming days or hours. And you can't turn it off. For me, that's beautiful. For others, that might be toxic. But I love that this is my worldview. I love that I get to talk about this every day. I feel so grateful that I have this passion for this company that I'm building. But it, it is a grind. It really, really is. It just doesn't feel as much of a grind when you're building something you love and believe in wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. And what do your days look like right now? Walk us through morning to when you go to bed. Oh, I love it. So I'm a workout fanatic. I'm a long distance runner. I've run a marathon before. And so I'm currently training right now. So I wake up around 7, 7.30. Again, do not wake up at 5. <laughs> I have my own <laughs> schedule. I wake up around 7, 7.30 and I'll usually go running for about an hour shower, make breakfast. I'm currently doing Lacey Phillips to be magnetic, which Maddie turned me on to, and I'm absolutely obsessed with it. So I'll do either morning pages from the artist way or Lacey Phillips in the morning and just really clear my head and set my intentions for the day, which sounds like I have my shit together. I'm a work in progress. There are days where I don't want to journal or I don't want to manifest where I don't want to put in the work, but I've really been forcing myself to, and it's been like you said, super helpful. And I notice the days where my mind is clear and I feel more energized. And I usually get to work around 9.30. I'll answer emails, anything customer service related. I'll pack out orders. And then from there, I work on social strategy. I work on growth roadmap, everything and anything in between. Feature product development, community management. TikTok is a huge part of my job because that's where my primary community lives. But every day is different. I've really tried. I'm sure you've talked to other people about this too. 
I've tried coming up with like a regulated schedule where like Mondays I work on marketing and Tuesdays I do social and Wednesdays I do newsletter and SMS and I'm, I can't do it that way. I wish I could. I really just kind of do whatever feels creative and intuitively right, but definitely still trying to figure out like a really good schedule to stick to. Yeah. The amount of times I've told myself I'm going to time batch like that, where I'm like, this day is only dedicated to this. This day is only dedicated to this. I've never once stuck to it. Like I will try in the morning and by like an hour in, I'm out. Like, I I don't know if it's just the way that my brain works or like, I can't because like, if something else comes on the table, I have to focus on it. I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'll look at that Wednesday on the day that it's time to look at that. Like I have to look at it. And if, if it's something that I is pressing or even if it's not pressing, if it's something that I just like want to get done and get off my to-do list, I want to get it done in that moment. I don't want to wait until I I've like time batched for it. <laughs> something that I've also done, which I really like is the Pomodoro technique in which you set a timer for 25 minutes and you take five minutes of break, repeat. It's great. I haven't really tried that yet. I think I need to because I definitely am always looking for different ways to be productive because sometimes I feel like, oh my God, where has the time gone? I feel like I didn't get what I needed to accomplish today. So I'm trying like different methods and different techniques. Are you a goal setter? Do you set like goals? You do to-do lists? You Yeah, like what is your like productive ideal day? I have to-do lists. I set quarterly goals. And then my to-do list is completely based on little habits that can get me to those goals. I can feel paralyzed when I have really, really big overarching goals that I don't have the proper step to get to. So I'll fantasize, I'll put that goal out there into the universe and be like, this is what I'm achieving in Q1, Q2, et cetera. But then from there, I take it a step further. And these are the little tiny steps and habits that you need to take in order to get to that. And so that's what my to-do list is comprised of. And I found that that's been super helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are your goals always numerical goals or what are kind of your quarterly goals that you usually create? Some of them can be numerical in terms of like social growth, newsletter growth, et cetera. Others can be have this product finalized in formulation by X date. Another one can, you know, be reached out to X amount of people to connect with so-and-so. It it really, it's all about what will make me feel good and what I know will grow the business in the direction that I want to be headed in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's something I've always struggled with. It's like the overarching goals do overwhelm me. So like, how do I break them down into smaller, more achievable and digestible goals? And how do I accomplish those? Tiny little habits and tiny little steps will get you there. Mm -hmm. And are you currently working on Super Drip all by yourself or do you have a team now? I'm working on Super Drip all by myself. It's crazy to even imagine that. So I launched Super Drip for a pre-order back in June. And then I quit my job to work on it full-time in August. So really, really new to this, fully working on it by myself and planning to change that in the new year, which I'm very excited about and go out and potentially do a proper raise. Time will tell, but right now I've been bootstrapping with friends and family and it's been working great and investing all the money that I've made so far back into the company. And right now it's sustainable, but in the new Congrats. year, things. Thank you. It, it's That's a grind. Such an accomplishment. It's, it's a grind. How many people are on your team? 
We have five total, including myself. So there's me, there's my two co-founders, and then we have two people full-time. So those, those are like the full-time people. We have a few contractors, like two additional contractors that help with like very small things, but it's five of us full-time. So it's definitely, I feel like software versus product is so different because you need technical people to obviously do it. And I am not the technical co-founder. Like I have two technical co-founders. So I'm the CEO, the industry expert. I really set the vision, the roadmap. I'm the one speaking with investors, raising money, focusing on our community, all of that. And then we have someone that says marketing and design and then another developer as well. So it's been interesting. I've always worked for myself and I've always like done everything on my own. So once I started working with others, it was definitely one of those moments where I was like, okay, I need to adjust to like team mode, not just like, I'm doing everything myself and I can do everything better type of mode. Cause that was always a struggle for me is like delegating and, and giving things off to other people. Absolutely. What's really cool. It sounds like your co-founders also fit the parts of you that you don't necessarily either want to focus on or have focused on previously. So it's very cool that you've found people that kind of fit your mold and complement you. Definitely. It's been great. And I wanted to ask because so many people have, you know, this desire to start a product and they want to create something. They have this idea. They want to create the pretty branding. They want to see it on the shelves. That's a dream for so many. What would be the one piece of advice that you either received or that you would give for someone who wants to start a consumer product and actually start creating it? Yeah, Yeah. I, I would say two things. I would say the first and foremost is find a fit, find something that you know, either exists that can be done infinitely better or find a gap in the marketplace, find the low hanging fruit. Let's be honest, like I'm a skincare beauty junkie, but I don't ever need to see another beauty brand come to the surface again. I feel like I am tapped out. I am done. It's too overwhelming. Same Mm -hmm. thing with skincare routines. Like there's only so much product that you should put on your face and less is more in my opinion. And so I feel like really overwhelmed with the amount of brands selling you product. So that would be first and foremost, if you have invented some sort of technology or a product that people have never heard of in the skincare space, go for it. I love it. But really find something that you know will have wide curb appeal and isn't really being done or isn't being done well, in my opinion. That would be first and foremost. Second piece of advice, stay in your lane. I can't express that enough. To compare is to despair is an expression my mom has always said. The more and more you compare, the worse it's just going to get. So the longer you can just stay in your lane, focus on your vision, honing that that brand voice, figuring out what it is, figuring out what it is that you want to sell, but also build more importantly. Again, like... I think everybody wants to be a community first brand, but it's very different than saying that versus doing it. And so the more and more that you can find your people and connect people that really resonate with your product and your vision, the better off you're going to be all around. And so really crafting that would be probably my second piece of advice. Mm -hmm. I love that you built your community first. I think it's so smart because you could have just been heads down building and like not focusing on community. And then when you had a product, oh, here's the community, let's try to build it, which I think a lot of companies do. They'll build the product first and then they try to find a community to organically promote them when you were building in public, which is something that I did similarly with, with Rella. Like I was a content creator for the past decade. And so when I was building a tool for creators, I was vlogging about it. I was posting about it. I was sharing it before anything ever got done, you know, before we had a name, before anything happened, I was like sharing that and talking to people and building that community with of creators. So 
I think it's really, really smart. And it's definitely something that I think has made us stand out because even if you have, you know, more that you want to accomplish and you have more products that you want to roll out and more, you know, features that you want to implement, your original community will be there and be excited to see that happen rather than people that randomly find you might not like see that vision because they're just finding you from like a random you know, social media posts. And so I think building a community is definitely like the best. Absolutely. And even if you do build another skincare, another beauty brand, like power to you, if you can find the people that want to buy that product, then I say go for it. Because if you have people waiting to connect with you and your vision, it does matter what you're building, right? They're going to have to like the product at the end of the day too, but it's equally as important that they support you in what you're building. That's so important. And for me too, like I think a lot of people just like want to sell, sell, sell. And maybe my early 20s or like in the nascent phases of building super drip, I was like, yes, I want to sell a bunch of product. But now moving product is great. But I want to that people feel like they have a safe space. And I want to hear that my community feels seen and heard and understood. Like that's what waking up and getting to this job is all about for me. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Where can they find you and where can they find super drip? Yeah. So you can find Superdrip at getsuperdrip.com and get Superdrip on both Instagram and TikTok. And then you can find me at sweaty.ready on TikTok as well. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I'm so excited for people to listen to this episode because one, I feel like I have a lot of, you know, people that feel ashamed of their excess sweat as well. And I want them to feel not ashamed about it and find a product that works for them, but also just anyone that's trying to start a product themselves. I think this episode was super valuable. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so lovely talking to you. You too. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.